Thanks for joining me on this Cleveland Baseball Morning. The final from Target Field in Minnesota. It's the Cleveland Guardians 4, the Minnesota Twins 1. The Guardians sweep the Minnesota Twins in this big weekend away series. I'm Davey Barris, a lifelong Cleveland baseball fan, and I want to talk about the actual game on the field, the thing I enjoy, watching baseball being played. And yeah, like most Cleveland fans, I was flipping back and forth between you know, the Browns' first game of the season and the Guardians' baseball game, but I definitely was locked into the baseball game for long stretches uh, of the day. And, of course, middle of the day on a Sunday, you're running around, you're doing errands, you're, man, running to multiple targets to try to find something. But I was able to get most of this game in, and it was a fun one. I mean, it was actually a fun one to have on the radio driving around to. Uh, there was a lot going on, a lot of interesting plays in this one. So let's get into it. Let's get into the storylines. And the top storyline of this game has to be Shane Bieber. Just he's he's in ace level right now, and he is in love with his cutter. This man is throwing this cutter a ton. His line on the day, six and a third innings pitched, five hits. One earned run, one walk, seven strikeouts, 100 pitches. He's only hard hit six times. But the amount of cutters has now surpassed the slider and the knuckle curve. In fact, it surpasses the slider and the knuckle curve combined. Combined, it's 25 breaking balls and uh, to 26 cutters. Now, of course, it all comes off the forcing fastball establishes a lot of called strikes, 13 called strikes with the four-seam fastball. Uh, It's a 35% CSW on that pitch. But then he gets the whiffs, gets the whiffs with the cutter and the knuckle curve on this day. Uh, The slider wasn't really that effective of a pitch for him. Only a 20% CSW on that slider. So he goes to the cutter and gets a ton of strikeouts with that Cutter bouncing back over to the illustrator and going over to his strikeouts. He's got one with the four seam fastball, just blew one by Sandy Leone right down the middle, frankly, on a 2 2 count in the third inning. In the first inning, he got Max Kepler to swing over a knuckle curve, blew him away to end the first inning, and then everything else, the other five strikeouts, all come via the cutter, and they all come via the cutter down and away to that glove side. I believe, let's double check, I believe all right-handed hitters. Uh, Yes, all right-handed hitters fall to that cutter down and away. And uh, he he was expanding the strike zone a little bit on these guys. If you look at his called strikes location, especially against right-handed hitters, a ton of them are actually off the plate with the four seam fastball are actually off the plate to the glove side. So he was getting a strike zone over there. Basically he was getting an inch or two off the plate to that right side of the plate from the catcher's view all game long. And it was helping that cutter because then he could throw the cutter down and away out there and they had to go chase it. Why? Because they'd already gotten a forcing fastball called out there. The cutters coming in hard and then just breaks a little bit at the end And they're not able to catch it, right? So this pitch was absolutely unbelievable. And uh, I like some of the matchups here. Let's look at some of his early strikeouts and see how he was setting guys up out there with that cutter. 
For Carlos Correa, that strikeout in the first inning, he just pounds the, the away part of the plate, down and away the entire at-bat, gets that called strike on that four-seam fastball just off the black on the away side of the plate, uh, throws him two cutters way off the plate that he lays off, comes back with another four-seam fastball even further off the plate than the first one, gets another called strike. He has to foul off a four-seam fastball on the outside of the plate, has to foul off a slider on the outside of the plate, and then finally throws him that cutter down and away again, and he chases it. So, yeah, just absolutely pounding the outside edge of the plate. Uh, Kepler, the left-hander, man, he just pounds him inside with two cutters and then gets him to swing over that knuckle curve. Uh, he throws that knuckle curve mostly to left-handed hitters now. Uh, and then in the second inning, gets two more strikeouts. Giovanni Urshela has just got him off the plate. Um, a four-seam fastball for a called strike right at the belt, but just off the black away to the right-handed hitter. Throws the cutter out there at the belt, gets him to, gets a swinging strike on it, gets him to chase it off the plate, and then throws him one more out there, stays away. Why is he going to come in on him when he's doing so great away and gets him to chase another cutter outside there? So just has these right-handed hitters just hanging across the plate just hanging in the other batter's box almost, uh, you know, off the black. He's getting these guys to chase and swing. And the same thing with Kyle Garlick. Uh, the, another right-hand hitter, the strikeout to end the second inning, goes high with a fastball for a called strike on the outside edge, throws him a cutter in the dirt uh, for ball one, but comes back with a four-seam fastball off the black again, off the outside edge of the plate, gets another called strike. He's ahead one and two in the count. Throws him a slider down in a way that he has to foul off. Throws him another four-seam fastball off the plate that he lays off to even it up two and two. And then throws him a cutter down in a way that he swings over for a strike. So he has just got these right-handed hitters just leaning out, trying to reach this cutter, and they cannot find it. You know, we talk about Oscar Gonzalez all the time, how he knows he chases stuff down in a way, but at least he can get the bat head out there. Uh, sometimes and foul it off. These guys couldn't even foul off this cutter out there. I mean, they were just flailing at it. So, I mean, unbelievable stuff from Shane Bieber. And, uh, you know, the Twins do get to him for a run in the uh, in the bottom of the fifth inning. Of course, they would need something crazy to happen. Nick Gordon with a solid double to lead off the inning. He would strike out Kyle Garlick. Jake Cave would ground out, and it would move Nick Gordon up to third base. So with two outs, they pinch hit Gary Sanchez. Now look, he hits a single uh, down the third base line. Ramirez is circling behind it, and it hits the bag and hops over uh, Jose Ramirez's head. Can any Would anybody have done anything differently? Right? Would, would a different third baseman been able to cut in front of the bag and get this ball? Would it not have bounced over their head? No, I think pretty much any third baseman in the league would have been absolutely dead on this play. Like, nothing you can do. When the ball hits the bag like this, where he was playing, where he was set up deep, uh, you know, at third base, there's just nothing you could do. So, I mean, it almost shouldn't even be an earned run because, uh, you know, it was the bag. It was the third base bag that it bounced. It would be like if it hit a sprinkler head, you know, or something in the outfield. Like, it just, it's just a funky bounce that you can't do anything about. So uh, they get a run off Bieber in that fifth inning. And in the seventh inning, they make things interesting. Uh, two leadoff singles in that uh, seventh inning. They got runners at the corner. They hammer them off Bieber, too. 102-plus 102 102 mile-per-hour exit velocity for both singles. 
but he stays in to face Cal Garlic, who he has dominated all game, gets Garlic to pop out. Then they go to Sam Henches in the bullpen to face the lefty uh, who was coming in. They Did they pinch hit Palacios then for, um, for Cave? Yeah, I think they did. And uh, so now Henches has to face Palacios and Gary Sanchez. Works a long at-bat against Palacios. Eventually gets him to line out to second base. So they keep it on the infield again. The runners can't advance. Remember, these runners are on the corners with nobody out. And nobody's bringing Giovanni Urshela in from third base. And then Gary Sanchez comes in and strikes out to a big curveball from Sam Henches. This guy has been fantastic lately. I... I've been saying it for two years. I've been saying that Henches could be a big weapon out of the bullpen, and he's definitely proving it. He's not at, you know, peak uh, Andrew Miller levels yet, right? You know, playoff run Andrew Miller levels yet. But he has been very, very good out of the bullpen. I mean, it's it's part of the reason why this bullpen has taken shape into the dominant bullpen that it has. I mean, the emergence of Henches. Uh, Sandlin finding his control again, and Karinczak, for that matter, finding their control again. Stefan, you know, emerging as this strikeout machine with his splitter has really, really uh, helped uh, this uh, bullpen emerge as a dominant bullpen. And Sam Henches is a big, big part of it. So he does a good job, escapes the jam in the seventh. Uh, in the eighth inning, uh, Stefan actually gets three ground outs, but gets some help. Uh, with a great backhand play by Owen Miller. You know, I dog on Owen Miller's defense all the time at first base, so I do have to give credit where credit is due. Uh, Ahmed Rosario makes a nice diving stop, comes up, throws a one-hopper to Owen Miller, and he does a nice backhand sweep and gets this ball uh, to help Stefan in the eighth inning. And then Karinczak comes in the ninth, and he doesn't make it easy. I mean, look, he had no control at one point in this inning. Just none with that fastball. In fact, the illustrator looks ridiculous. It almost looks like two different pitchers because there are a ton, a group of about seven fastballs that are up at people's heads. Uh, He just cannot get a grip on that fastball and get it down. Finally does, though. Carl Willis goes out and talks to him, and I think it actually worked. How many times have you seen the pitching coach walk out there and it actually help a guy figure out his control or something like that, right? Or figure out something mechanically he was doing wrong. So I don't know what Willis told him, but uh, something actually helped Karinczak out there, and he started to get that fastball back down into the zone. Clearly was just feeling fastball. Was not feeling the curveball at all because he throws it three times, which is very un-Karinczak-like. But uh, gets the fastball back under control. And he's able to get two more strikeouts to end things, uh, to punch out the Minnesota Twins and uh, end this thing. So he had a nice 4-1 to lead at that point, so he did have a little bit of wiggle room in that ninth inning. Didn't have to use it, though. After the walk, strikeout walk, he's able to... Man, Garlic struck out a lot on this day. How bad of a day did Garlic have? Yeah, three strikeouts and four at-bats, left five guys on base. Garlic did not have a good game, and then gets Palacios to strike out to end things. So that's what was going on with the Guardians pitching. There was one more Bieber moment that I loved. You know Bieber was really locked in when, uh, or it was just his day, when uh, he got Correa earlier in the game off the handle of the bat. Uh, He throws one up and into Correa. 
you know, not going up and into many right-handed hitters. He was staying away all day, so he goes up and in with one, and it looks like it's going to hit him in the hands, and it hits off the handle of the bat and comes right back to Bieber. That's how you know the baseball gods are on your side. When even you, you can't even hit a guy with a pitch, it ends up being a ground out back to the pitcher. And uh, Correa, you can kind of understand why Correa doesn't leave the batter's box, right? It's kind of, you know, when a ball comes up and in like that, and you're trying to pull your hands back, and it hits off the handle of the bat, number one, you expect it to go foul. You don't expect it to come back into the fair uh, territory. And two, I mean, that's it's a little bit, uh, you know, shocking. It, it's a little bit alarming. You are frozen a little bit. When a guy comes up and in, especially when he's been pitching you away all day, just pounding away, 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 and then comes up and in, you think you're going to get hit by the pitch, and then it ricochets off the handle of your bat. I I honestly understand why Correa, Correa was a little bit frozen at home plate and didn't actually run this thing out. Um, so yeah, so Bieber has a very, very good day, especially with that cutter. Um, all right, the other side of things, the other thing going on in this game Obviously, the Guardians' offense and the solo home runs. I'm, again, not really the Guardians' way, you know, to kind of win with home runs, but they take a 2-0 lead via the solo home run. That's just how they're getting it done. I'm shocked Quan gets stranded at first base to start off this game. I mean, this kind of thing just doesn't happen in the Guardians' offense. Um, he, uh, He kicks off the game with a single he drops one in there in left field in front of garlic you know classic Stephen Kwan just slicing one the other way then steals second base you know the Guardians have been running all series so good job gets himself up in the scoring position especially before Ahmed Rosario is up because we know Ahmed Rosario will ground into that double play well he doesn't yesterday Ahmed Rosario had a two-run home run uh he comes really close. In fact, the deepest ball hit on the day at 389 feet. However, it's a fly out to deep center field. Quan moves up to third. So now we've got a situation where Jose Ramirez is up with a runner on third base, less than two outs. And this is usually, I mean, prime Jose Ramirez territory. This guy in situations... Uh, let me find the right situation here. In the bases occupied situation, where he has got a runner on third with one out. Ready? He's had nine plate appearances with a runner solely on third base. Nobody else on base. Just a runner on third and one out. He's had nine plate appearances. Eight times a run has come in to score. He has eight RBIs in this situation. Uh, including a home run in this situation. So that would be, you know, two RBIs driving himself in. So seven of the nine runners have come in to score now. He's he batting 600 in these situations. Uh, yeah, absolutely unbelievable. So it's almost a lock. It's almost a lock that in this situation, he did walk once. So that didn't drive in a run, right? No run came in in that situation. It still counts as a plate appearance. But, uh, you know, so he's got... Three hits in that situation, three sack flies, and a walk in that situation. So he was, I mean, almost flawless in this situation. Runner on third, one out, that run comes in to score, or he's at least walking and getting on base. Strikes out here. Strikes out and strands Stephen Kwan at third base. I mean, all the money in the world would told you that Kwan was going to come in to score in that first inning. 
Ramirez can't get it done, and then Naylor lines out to end the threat. So, shocking. I mean, I'm literally listening to the game and shocked that Ramirez doesn't bring that run in to score. Uh, So then in the uh, second inning, they get it done with the solo home run. Andres Jimenez gets one up and in. 98.3 mile per hour exit velocity, 29 degree launch angle, 386 over the big wall in right field. And then in the third inning, Quan follows it up with a one-out home run of his own. This one goes 101.5 off the bat. This was a first pitch swinging. Uh, Andres Jimenez was actually down in the count on his. Quan was first pitch swinging, 33-degree launch angle, so gets it up a little higher, a little more air under his. 387 puts it a foot further, just over that, uh, that wall, that big wall again in right field. Now, looking at their zones, this makes a lot of sense. Uh, Andres Jimenez will hit some home runs from the inside, from the from the top of the strike zone. I mean, I can't believe he is up to so many home runs on the season for Andres Jimenez. They've really added up. He's up to 16 home runs on the season. Has a chance for a 20 home run season if September continues to be friendly to him. All right, yeah, maybe maybe not 20, but yeah, still 16. It's a good number for you know a second baseman who hasn't really developed his power swing yet. But from the top of the strike zone is definitely where he can hit some home runs. He's got five home runs from the top of the strike zone. He even has a home run from a pitch up and in, which is kind of where this is. It's just at the top of the strike zone, but it is up and in. So yeah, he has shown pop from that territory. He will hit some home runs from pitches up and in. It's funny because most of his doubles come from pitches down, uh, and some of his power, I mean, obviously the middle of the plate, he's got four home runs from dead center in the plate, but the top of the strike zone has been a place where he can get some power. Now for Quan, uh, he has also shown a little bit of pop on the season, not much, but he can hit a home run and they always come from inside pitches. He's now got two home runs from middle in and two home runs from down and in. So turning on inside pitches, he's able to get some real bat speed going there, and he's able to hit some home runs from pitches on the inside edge of the plate. So there you go. Uh, Quan with another one follows that trend, uh, his fourth home run from a pitch on the inside edge of the plate. Uh, So yeah, very telling there. And he doesn't swing at the first pitch very often. Very often, um, in fact, uh, let's see here. Don't they have those numbers? Uh, yeah, he took the first pitch in a hundred and a four in four hundred and eighty-eight plate appearances. He takes the first pitch. He only swung at the first pitch in forty-five plate appearances. Now it doesn't really affect the overall outcome of the at bat. The numbers are pretty similar whether he swings or he doesn't swing. But he not he hasn't hit very well on the first pitch. He's only a two twenty-two hitter. But he's slugging 500. He's now got two doubles and two home runs off of the first pitch of the at-bat. So not a high batting average of 222 swinging at that first pitch, but has squared a few up, slugging again 500. I believe, I believe, is this updated from, uh, I guess it is. I guess it is updated. Okay. Uh, from yesterday's game. Sometimes baseball reference is pretty slow to update. So, okay. So it's two doubles and a single home run off of the first pitch. So, not something we're going to see him do very often, but he got one, he got an inside fastball, and he turns on it. So, the Guardians offense would be 
kind of quiet. They'd have runners on, but really their next big threat was in the seventh inning. Uh, Miles Straw with a single. Ahmed Rosario, two out, hit by pitch. Jose Ramirez with a walk to load the bases for Josh Naylor, and he strikes out. He strikes out on a curveball down below the zone after fouling off a few pitches. Can't deliver the big RBI hit in the seventh inning. But you know what? Baseball has a way sometimes. It has a way of coming back around. Maybe you strike out in the seventh inning with bases loaded and two outs, but then you come up again in the ninth inning with two guys on and one out. Actually, bases loaded again. That's right, because they intentionally walk uh, Jose Ramirez. So bases loaded again, and this time he's able to deliver. So Straw starts hanging out. The, uh, the Twins infield had themselves a bad inning here. Uh, Straw with a single off of Jose Lopez's glove, uh, you know, chops one high over the pitcher's head. It hits off his glove, so Straw's safe with an infield single. Quan, uh, Quan with a single to the right side gets it underneath the glove of the Twins' first baseman, Miranda. So Miranda tries to make a diving stop on it, but he gets it into right field. Uh, and then Ahmed Rosario, uh, with runners on the corner, grounds out back to the pitcher. High leverage situations. Ahmed Rosario is just not built for high leverage situations. I, I mean, it's to the point where I would honestly consider pinch hitting for him at this point in high leverage situations. So he grounds out back to the pitcher. Frankly, it could have been a double play, but I think Lopez was a little bit worried about Straw at third base. Doesn't want to let that another run come into score. So he looks back the runner instead of looking to second base, throws Ahmed Rosario out at first. So then they have to walk with that first base open. They have to walk Jose Ramirez. You're just not going to pitch to the best hitter in, in the Guardians lineup with that first base open in the ninth inning. And it brings up Josh Naylor, who hits a chopper. It's a hard chopper. I mean, it's a kind of hard chopper, 87.6. It's a minus 30-degree launch angle, so it's a true chopper to first base. It goes over Miranda and then underneath Second baseman Palacios's glove. I mean, what in the Bat-Bib gods? Are you kidding me? It goes over the first baseman, under the second baseman, out into right field for a double because uh, it's in no man's land at that point. Both runs, Straw and Quan, both guys that got hits to start the inning, come in to score. It's a big, big two RBI hit for Josh Naylor. So he comes through. He comes through. He can't do it in the seventh inning with the bases loaded. He comes through here uh, and is able to deliver a huge, huge two-RBI hit, especially with as interesting as Karinczak made the ninth inning. Those insurance runs were definitely appreciated. The rally would end there, but two big runs coming in to score to extend that lead in the ninth inning. So it's a good day for your Cleveland Guardians. It's a big win a big sweep over the Minnesota Twins. I mean, they've really pushed the Minnesota Twins, Twins to the edge of playoff contention at this point. Uh, and and the Oakland Athletics did us a favor by beating up on the Chicago White Sox in the Sunday finale. So even though Chicago was on a roll, they take a loss. We've now got a two-and-a-half game lead over the Chicago White Sox. The Minnesota Twins have fallen below 500 at 69-70 and 70, are now four-and-a-half games back. So they are really, really going to need some help to climb back into this thing. Now they do face us five more times in Cleveland, so they can help themselves out, but they have a huge mountain to climb if the Twins want to get back into playoff contention. 
So it's a giant win for your Guardians. It was, frankly, a fun baseball game. I mean, there were a lot of little moments throughout this game that added up to this Guardians win. Uh, but yeah, it was a really, really good day from Quan leading off. Three hits from Quan leading off. Uh, three hits from Miles Straw in the nine hole. I know we don't like to admit it, but Straw is actually, actually starting to come around and figure things out in that nine hole. Let's look at his, uh, we'll take a look at his recent splits to see what he's been doing over the last week, what he's been doing over the last 15 games and the last 30 games, but I think we're going to be impressed by his numbers. Uh, the last seven games, he's hitting 310. All singles, no walks. He's still not walking, which is something that used to help uh, help Straw out a lot. Uh, over his last 15 games, it's 245 with a 275 on base because he did draw two walks over that time frame. So, yeah, it's, uh, it's not bad over the last 15 games. I would say he's starting to come around. I mean, my God, if Straw figures it out in September... If he actually figures out what he's doing in the month of September and has a good September-October, that is just going to be uh, amazing for this team, uh, right? I mean, for a guy that's been struggling all season, he's hitting 290. He hit 0.93 in the month of August. It, we literally were ready to just, I mean, cut the guy. It was that bad. 0.93 with a 115 on base. He's now up to, for September, up to a 294 batting average with a 333 on base for the month of September. From my nine hitter, done. Fine. I'll take it. With the speed, add some stolen bases in there, beautiful. So if Straw can keep this month going, I mean, that's really, really going to help out this Guardians offense. For uh, MVP on the day, you know, Straw was very good with those three hits. Bieber was fantastic. You know, uh... Karinchek coming and getting in the save on a day when Klasse is not available, but I think I got to go with Steven Kwan for MVP on the day. Showing that pop, showing that power, really hitting the go-ahead run with that home run in the third inning, but also having two more hits, scoring in that ninth inning, you know, getting up to second base and scoring off of that double by Naylor. So three hits, two runs scored, including the home run. I think I got to go with Steven Kwan as MVP on the day. It just, from that leadoff spot, really set the tone for this team. All right, I think that's all my thoughts on this one. It was a fun win by your Cleveland Guardians, a big sweep, and now we are set up to face the LA Angels at home for a three-game weeknight set here coming up. Uh, we got some 6-10 starts, and then we got the makeup game against the White Sox, and then the five against the Minnesota Twins before we go Back to Chicago for three more. So we have got, after this LA Angels series, we've got nine games against our contenders for the American League Central crowd. I think by the end of next week, by the time we roll into Texas for that Texas series, there's going to be some things decided in the American League Central division. So that's all my thoughts on this one. Thanks for joining me on this Cleveland Baseball Morning. The final again from Minnesota with the sweep. It's the Guardians for the Twins one. You can follow me on Twitter at David Ferris. You can email the show at clevelandbaseballmornings at gmail.com. Let me know your thoughts on the game. Let me know your thoughts on Straw's September. Let me know your thoughts on Karen Sheck actually finding his control in the ninth inning, and we'll discuss it on the show. Also, I'm hosting this podcast on Anchor, so if you go to anchor.fm forward slash clevelandbaseballmornings, you can leave a voicemail for the show. We'll play it back on the air, respond to your thoughts, and we'll have a fun conversation amongst the fans about baseball. 
So thanks again for joining me on this Cleveland Baseball Morning.